And welcome to another episode of Tech.eu Podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Barza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. This week, we'll be covering a lot of great topics. First off, Berlin-based startup Babbel hits 1 million paying users. We have two new funds in Europe that startups should know about, Target Global and Titanium VC, two European mobile payments companies that recently raised money. Definitely people should have them on their radar. That's Mondo and Payleven. And Neil, you had a chance to catch up with student.com's Shaq Ren, so we will hear about that. And finally, at the end, quick discussion on the standardization of term sheets and whether or not that's a good idea. So starting off with Berlin-based startup Babbel, who just announced that they have 1 million paying users. I have to admit, I was a little surprised to hear this news, but obviously very thrilled for the company nonetheless. Babbel is a language learning platform primarily on iOS and Android that has been around since 2007 that we actually don't hear too much about, although they were recently named one of the world's most innovative edtech companies by Fast Company. Babbel is a company that is always mentioned when we talk about different language learning platforms alongside companies like Duolingo. I definitely wasn't aware that the company already had a solid 400 employees, including some pretty impressive recent management hires that come from Zalando and Deliveroo. The product is available in 14 different languages from Spanish to Indonesian. Last year, the company raised 20 $22 million with Scottish equity partners and their previous investors. And for people who regularly listen to the podcast, uh, Scottish equity is a fund that we talked about when we mentioned Skyscanner. So they're an investor there as well. The company recently hit the 10 million download mark, well, actually a few years ago in 2013. So I have to say they seem to be doing exceptionally well for a language learning platform and we'll be very excited to see what they do next. Yeah, I have to admit, I was really surprised as well. I mean, I'm almost still surprised. I still struggle to believe there is 1 million paying users, but it's an incredible milestone. But the reason why I struggle to believe it is because to me, it's the type of app that you kind of dip in and out of. Like, I'm always thinking, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to pick up my French again, or I want to learn another language. And then I download Babbel or Duolingo or, or similar app. And, you know, I use it for about a week and then I stop using it. And I think that's kind of similar to a lot of people who use this type of app. So I have to admit, I'm very surprised they have 1 million pen users. It's kind of a huge testament to the company that they've managed to do that. Because I think this is an area which is kind of hard to monetize when you're essentially getting people to pay you for their attention. And there's so much out there of what you can be doing with your free time or what you can be doing on your phone. That to grab a million of those users and to get them to pay you is a really, really impressive achievement. Yeah, I think we'll definitely have to stay tuned and see where Babel goes next. Now, because it seems we cover a new fund in Europe every week, we have two this week that European startups should know about. So that's Target Global and Titanium VC. So global VC fund Target Global has just announced that they're opening a Berlin office to focus on European investments. The Berlin office will primarily focus on investments in Germany and Israel. Last year, the company invested in Delivery Hero and iZettel. They've also made a handful of seed investments in German startups like Clark, Nespic, and more. And And they currently have offices in San Francisco, Moscow, and now Berlin, and manage $300 million in assets. 
Yeah, it's quite interesting their their investments. I mean, they're extremely diverse. I mean, I was going to accuse them of making safe bets. You know, when I look at them and I see kind of delivery hero eyes at all these kind of later stage safer bets investments, I thought of them as as someone who was making these safe bets in Europe by targeting the the, the kind of more established companies. But no, they are also making these seed investments, like you say. So yeah, good to see them doing that. And interesting to see them have such a diversified portfolio, especially when we've recently been talking about how funds can differentiate themselves in a more crowded investor landscape in Europe. You know, one way is spreading your bets like this. Yes. And another fund to be aware of is Titanium VC. What a great name for a fund. So initially investing in Russia and Israel, they have just disclosed that they have a $50 million fund and are looking to expand their portfolio. They're investors in companies like AnyDo, NanoRep and Dribbler. I would definitely say that we need to keep an eye out on these two funds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it seems every week there are more and more funds coming into Europe. There was actually another one announced last week, all kind of details came out. But very quietly, there wasn't really much of a splash. But Lifeline Ventures raised a 60 million euro fund. What's particularly interesting about this one is it's 60 million euro, but it's focusing on pre-seed. So it's like a really big fund for the level of investments that they're going to make. So again, you know, more kind of innovative thinking about, you know, what can we do different with our fund or how can we stand out? I think having such a big fund for, for pre-seed investments is, is quite interesting. So yeah, actually free this week. So uh, yeah, another, another busy week. And very interesting to see also the geographical spread that's kind of coming from a interest in Russia and Israel, but then expanding to the rest of Europe. Yeah, definitely. So now moving on to two European payments companies that recently raised money. So that's Mondo in the UK and PayLevel in Germany. So UK's Mondo raised six million pound round by a passion capital and crowdfunding site Crowdcube, which is backed by Boulderton. Um, according to Business Insider, the company was valued at 30 million pounds. And according to the CEO, he describes his product as a bank for people who hate banks. So it's a pretty interesting tagline. There are currently 1,500 people testing the product and another 30,000 on the waiting list. So that is definitely something that we don't see every day. Mondo previously raised a £2 million round with Passion Capital last year and is apparently the fund's largest investment. The company is raising the remainder of the round through Crowdcube, uh, allowing customers to own shares and skip the 30,000-person wait list. So pretty interesting strategy there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is what, what interests me the most. I mean, they've even come out and said themselves they would have had no problem getting that one million elsewhere, but they've chosen to do it through Crowdcube to allow their customers to, to kind of have a stake. I think really what it's about is is kind of just getting customers. It's, it's a clever kind of marketing strategy. I mean, there's certain certainly not doing it for the money. So perhaps this is a new way of, well, it's not really a new way because it's a way that we know about, but it's interesting to see it used solely pretty much for customers and for marketing rather than money. And Mondo, I mean, it works as well because they're probably the most hyped or most talked about fintech company in the UK. And considering how many kind of fintech companies there are here and how many kind of uh, are seen as promising, it's pretty uh, impressive that they're the one that, that I believe that, that most people are currently talking about right now. But just for anyone who's interested in investing in their Crowdcube campaign, I had a look, I was considering it. The most you can personally invest is £1,000. And for that £1,000, you would have 0.0033% of Mondo. So even ignoring dilution, Let's say they reached a, a, a kind of or sold at a billion, as is ever the hope for startups these days. 
you would see a 33,000 pounds approximate return on your 1000. So a big return, but uh, you would own a very small stake. And that's even, you know, disregarding dilution. So yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of opening my eyes to the potential of CrowdCube equity crowdfunding. I'm still I also asked on Twitter, would that make you an angel investor? And people were, were kind of divided whether, you know, using CrowdCube makes you an angel investor. So I still think it's quite an interesting kind of concept. I'm still not quite sold on the advantages, disadvantages. I, I can't quite weigh up in my mind whether I feel that investing a thousand, for example, in Mondo, which is a very kind of well thought of company, is a good or a bad thing. Yeah, and I definitely have to say their strategy is very, very clever. 30,000 person waitlist. I'm wondering how you kind of create, you know, this type of interest around your product with so few people actually using it. So I think that's yeah. a really interesting strategy. Um, another payments company that made funding headlines is Berlin's Paylevin. So the company scored $10 million, bringing the total funding to over $50 million to date. So pretty big rounds. The product is a mobile point of sale similar to iZettle or Square. I don't know if we can still talk about them. The round includes investors like Slaventure Partners as well as New Enterprise Associates, which I don't often see investing in Europe, so that's pretty promising. And MePay, which is a rocket internet-backed company, is also an investor. Yeah, I mean, like I said uh, before, it's uh, it's amazing kind of really how many companies, not just in the UK, but in Europe, are uh, fintech now. I mean, even the Nordic's most backed vertical last year was fintech. So yeah, it's it's all over Europe right now. And uh, these two are, are kind of a good example of the, the next ones coming through. So definitely worth keeping an eye out on both of those. Now, Neil, you had a chance to catch up with Shaq from student.com on the recent $60 million round that they raised. Yes, we had a quick chat about student.com, about Spotify, and about what he's doing next. Hi, Shaq, and thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I just kick it off with kind of delving straight into student.com. Obviously, just raised $60 million quite a big amount. And, and I think a lot of people felt that it was under the radar. At least I hadn't really heard about it before. So I just wonder, how did you kind of keep it stealth for so long? Well, you know, when you're busy executing and your focus is on building a business, I'm sure there have been many times that Luke Nolan, the founder, and I had discussed about, hey, you know, we really should try and tell the story. But it's literally been years and years of just sheer dedication. And there's always another student who needs housing and another landlord who we have to get on the platform. So was it deliberate? You could say it was deliberate, but I guess the main reason for it was in order of priorities, the focus has always been on building the global marketplace for students rather than getting press coverage. Definitely. So it's more like a kind of heads down approach and uh, the, the work Absolutely. took precedence. Yeah, cool. So how did you get involved with student.com in the first place and, and kind of what's your role there today? So student.com's actually got a fascinating journey. Ten years ago, actually coming up to about 11 years ago, I moved to Shanghai. And after having been there for not long, I think it was a couple of weeks, I enrolled in Mandarin classes. And about a few days, or maybe it was a week later or so, Luke Nolan, who is the founder of the company, also moved to Shanghai. And I think he was in his early 20s. And we basically had the same Mandarin teacher. We became friends and you know, the friendship grew. I then moved back to the UK and he stayed out there. Fast forward about three or four years, in 2011, he started Bootstrapped 
essentially an idea he had, and the company was called Overseas Student Living. Having known me and having been friends, I used to advise him and I'd become somewhat of a mentor to him. So that's how I first got to hear about the business. And he grew that organically, didn't raise any funding. And it's probably 2014 when I really got involved, around the summer of 2014. He was in London. He'd come over to London on a regular basis, stay with me whilst he was building this business out, you know, and taking the cheapest form of transport to go and sign up landlords and university partnerships. And I was very excited about it. And the more I looked into it, I realized this was probably one of the biggest untapped industries that I'd come across, which had yet to be digitized. So that's where my passion and excitement really um, escalated. And from 2014 onwards, I've been actively involved. And one of the first things we obviously do was, hey, how do we you know, go through the next stage of this company? And one of those parts was rebranding from overseas student living to student.com. Cool. So what's next for the company? And what's next for you in terms of your role in the company? So, you know, focus is really for me on student.com. I've uh, stopped investing as such because there's, there's only so many hours in the day and it's very easy to get distracted. And it's so early in the journey for student.com. You know, we're just barely scratching the surface. So I spend my time mainly on supporting uh, the CEO, uh, supporting the management team, helping out with strategy. And, you know, we come back to, um, if you've looked at some of the numbers in this industry, there's 5 million international students studying abroad. Uh, that's growing to about 8 million in 2024. So it's early days of this company. And I'm really excited about being back in one company really actively involved on a day-to-day basis rather than doing 20 or 30 different things. Um, and I'm very excited about this. And I'm, you know, I'm a significant investor in the business as well as being a board member and helping uh, the team grow. Cool. Yeah, because actually that's what I kind of associate you with is kind of all these different projects. Of course, there's also Spotify, Coindesk, to, to name a couple of the, the more prominent ones. So with your kind of day-to-day mainly being focused on student.com, I just wondered in, in terms of Spotify, for example, these days, are you kind of involved in anything or, or kind of what's the situation there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been involved in Spotify since the early days, being one of the earliest investors, supporting the growth of that and it, it's a, been an amazing journey and it still is i have an exceptional relationship with the team up there i still act as an advisor to founder and ceo daniel Eck, and work on some initiatives that come up i'm not operationally involved on a day-to-day basis but you know hey as they say in spotify you always bleed green and i always bleed green for that company and it's uh, you know as far as europe goes and companies go and founders go it's been one of the most amazing rides and i'm very fortunate and lucky to have had that opportunity to be involved in such a great company cool and uh, finally actually i'd like to get your perspective kind of on europe on london and you're, you're someone who has worked in in several places been involved in several places i wonder what you felt kind of was going on in london right now compared to other places in the world do you feel that london is really mature in its ecosystem do you feel that it's kind of europe's leading ecosystem or, or where do you stand on it Well, you know, there's always a natural bias living in London and having more exposure to this than, say, somewhere like Berlin or Paris or Tel Aviv, although I've spent time in a number of European cities, especially Stockholm. London's a great place, right? London's a great financial hub. London's got exceptional talent from across the world. An example being student.com. There's over 26 nationalities speaking 35 languages. 
are you going to have access to that kind of talent pool in Silicon Valley or New York? I honestly don't know. On the flip side, do we have some of the amazing deep tech resources and possibly the investors who have the appetite for that? Maybe not, because if you look at West Coast, you've got places like Stanford Research Institute. You've got a lot more focus on deep tech, but the world is changing. Um, more and more people are coming online. And the one advantage I always say London has above anywhere else is the true international capability of scaling out from here. You know, some of the most amazing companies that have been launched or are going to get launched are really targeting a global audience from day one. And that's where Europe, in my opinion, has a far bigger advantage than Silicon Valley has because you have to have experience, various different cultures and nationalities to understand that the French ecosystem is very different to the UK ecosystem. And I'm sure, you know, your co-host on the this podcast, Roxanne Vaza, can explain the differences that even though London is only two and a half hours away from Paris, doing business in the two countries is very different, whereas most parts of the USA, it's the same business. So we do have an advantage, and London's a great place, and time will tell, and I don't think we should be aiming to build the next Silicon Valley. We should be aiming to build what we can build here. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with those thoughts, actually. And it is something that me and Roxanne have kind of covered on the podcast before. And it is a shame in some ways how all these hubs in Europe are so closely connected in terms of kind of time and distance. But there is all those differences still. But yeah, certainly agreed that we shouldn't be looking to build the next Silicon Valley in any of our hubs in Europe. But yes, thank you for your time, Shaq. Very insightful. Uh, great to hear what you're doing with student.com and kind of how your time is spent now. And wish you all the best with it. Thanks for having me. Great that you had a chance to talk to Shaq. He is definitely someone incredibly influential in the European ecosystem, and he's been quiet building his little empire, so that's very typical Shaq. Now, our final topic for this week is standardizing term sheets. So this week uh, in France, a group called the Galleon Project, which is a collective featuring some of France's top entrepreneurs, released a standardized Series A term sheet. The project included over 60 experienced entrepreneurs that decided to develop this term sheet, not to say that investors are often trying to screw over companies, but rather to support entrepreneurs' interests when raising capital for their company. The term sheet is already supported by funds like Axel Partners, Index Ventures, ID Invest Partners, Isai, and pretty much all the big names in France. Now, this is not the first time we've seen an attempt at standardizing term sheet. In 2011, 21 European investors under the group Seed Summit decided to do a standardized term sheet as well. I definitely think this is a great move in favor of supporting and demystifying funding agreements for entrepreneurs, but how much can we actually standardize? Well, this is a tricky one. I think it's definitely a positive thing, right? But for me, I actually think the most important part of, I mean, trying to have a standardized term sheet would come at first investment. And the reasons for that is because simply because most founders don't know what they're doing. Uh, they are naive uh, when it comes to uh, investment and often kind of blinded by the fact they're going to get funding rather than the terms themselves. So I think that it's potentially better at this early stage if there was some sort of standardization. And you mentioned that this one isn't about stopping investors trying to screw over companies but rather to support entrepreneur interest i feel that the one i'm thinking of at first investment would be useful to stop investors screwing over companies because that first investment is so important to the future 
of the rest of the company. And by having kind of ridiculous amount of equity given away or angels coming in and taking too much for too little, you just set yourself up for not then being able to get subsequent investors and you're essentially kind of killing the company immediately. So I don't know whether standardized term sheets is the right way or because like you say, how much can we actually standardize? But I think some kind of general guidance at least would be very good. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think that's actually their goal with this kind of standardized effort. I think essentially it's to really get people kind of pointed in the right direction and it's a place to start essentially. So hopefully we'll see a lot of entrepreneurs making use of it going forward. But I definitely think that this was a terrific effort on behalf of the Galleon Project. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree. I mean, it's certainly not a harmful thing, right? It's definitely a positive move and it can only help at least even in if it's just awareness. So yeah, great project. And that's it for this week. You can, of course, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast. Please subscribe, leave some feedback. It helps other people discover the podcast and hear what's going on in Europe's tech scene. You can find us on Twitter at Neil SW Murray and at Roxanne Vaza at tech underscore EU. And of course, the website is tech.eu. Thank you, Roxanne. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, Neil.